did what a lot of people did in 2007, 2008, 2009. I started a blog. I started writing. Um, I started a blog called Ed the Sports Fan. We're talking to high level people. The best thing you could ever do is ask them to explain something to you like you are ignorant. And you break in, you need to go find, you need to go find two mentors. You need to find a professional development mentor and you need to find someone who um, Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sporting Global Podcast. And today we're here with Eddie all the way from L.A. How are you, Eddie? I'm good, my brother. Things are great. I have good coffee in my hand. The sun is out. Um, sports are not driving me too crazy at the moment. So I have no complaints. And it's good to see you. Good to see you too. And I mean, like, it, I mean, it must be kind of hectic for you these days with like the NBA finals. And of course, like, I, I, we, we had a little bit pre talk before the podcast, and you were telling me you were like, you know, so soaked up into the Euros as well. And uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about uh, how you're, uh, how you're dealing with both the Euros and the finals at the same time. Yeah, man. It's, uh, look, there's nothing greater than being able to wake up in the morning, make a little bit of coffee, have a little bacon and eggs turn on the TV at 9 a.m. and boom, you've got, you know, Spain and France and Italy and Denmark doing battle, um, you know, telling, I'm yelling at the TV at 9.15 in the morning for uh, Raheem Sterling to, you know, put it in the back of the net. And my wife is just looking at me crazy. And, um, and you know, just being able to have that transition in the morning of awesome soccer. Um, and then in the evening, Boom, you're getting the NBA playoffs, the NBA finals with Giannis, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Middleton. Like, it's great. Um, you know, and the, and the great thing about all this and the reason why we all got into the industry is like I get to call. Well, I get to call the second half with the basketball. That's yeah. my that's my day job. That's my that's what I do for work. That's what I do for a living. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't really get to complain uh, uh, too much about my day to day. So I'm happy. what a life, huh? What a life it is. <laughs> so so it's good you know between that and you know we have a you know even personally you know uh me and my wife were expecting our first child in uh about three months and so um you know we're really excited about bringing a baby boy into the into the world and um you know we're getting grown man you know we were talking about being in class uh five years ago and you just think about how much uh things change and you know, look at you, man. You know, you you the startup king. You know, you, you you're you're out here uh, being an ambassador for um, like-minded sport professionals who are trying to take over the world in sport. And um, you know, I just tell you uh, very directly, like, you know, I'm proud of you. you. Keep doing the work. Stay on the grind. Um, you've got more glory ahead of you. And uh, let us know how we can support you. Like likewise, Eddie, it really means a lot to me. And I mean, like, I I, I guess what like, we kind of like just have to get from you, though, like uh, on the Euros, your your final your final prediction. Oh, okay, uh, final so Euro. Okay, uh, I'm picking England three, Italy one. Um, I am a big uh, Raheem Sterling and Bukayo Saka supporter. I'm Arsenal fan, so I'm going to always root for Saka. So um, I think uh, Saka and Sterling put one in the back of the net. I think Harry gets a PK. I think Italy's going to miss Venezuela a bit too much um, down the flanks. I don't think Emerson can do anything with the pace. 
of England, and uh, it's going to be fun. I- I'm going to say that, and then, of course, I- Italy's going to win 3-1, and I'm going to look <laughs> foolish, but I'm going on the record. I don't cover the, I don't cover soccer, so I can right. give any hot take I want. So I'm going to England 3. It comes home. The trophy yeah. comes home. Uh, England 3, it'll be 1. Well, I mean, like, this technically episode will be uh, posted after the, the finals, and now we'll see if you're going to be right, you know? This it's, is going to be... It's, it's going to be awesome. To, to this see. is going to be great. And, and, and for those of you that have been sitting here now already, just exciting in their fingers, like ready to hear more about Eddie, Eddie's story. And, and, you know, if you want to get, you know, key tips, you know, from leaders like Eddie, you know, sharing, sharing their insights, sharing their tips, you know, make sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel. You know, you'll get free tips every week, you know, from global leaders in the sport industry. And that's always helpful, you know, when you're beginning your journey, you know, trying to find your pad. And, and that's what we try to do over here. And, and Eddie, I, I guess like, I want to go a little bit back to the beginning of like, how, how did your journey in the sport industry begin? Like, where does this love and passion for sports come from? Yeah, it's, uh, well, the, the entry into sport is very, as much like almost any, any fan of sports, uh, you know, my grandfather pretty much uh, brainwashed me as a kid. And, you know, in America, there's a channel called uh, uh, TBS and in TBS in the late, late 1980s, um, they would uh, always play baseball um, in the afternoon and in the evening. And Turner, Turner Broadcast System, TBS, was based in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's also the home of the Atlanta Braves. So Atlanta Braves baseball games would be on all the time. And my grandfather would pull me over and make me watch Atlanta Braves baseball, tell me about the legend of Hank Aaron, have me watch, you know, Dale Murphy and, and, and David Justice later on, Terry Pendleton, Ryan Gant, these guys, um, you know, play for a once terrible team that then went on to um, eventually dominate, have a dominant run um, in, in Major League Baseball. And so that's that's really where it started. And, um, you know, like every kid, you know, started playing sports, played in high school, uh, played just played just a little bit of baseball in college. Um, but, you know, I've always just been a fan of sports. Um, and I think the thing that's been great is like I've found an appreciation for more than just even traditional American sports. You, you know, uh, America uh, in America, soccer is not the dominant soccer is not the dominant sport. But, you yeah. know, I, I give I give a lot of credit, frankly, to like video games. I mean, like being able to grow up and be able to play FIFA back in the day yeah. and being able to experience the game and and then be able to make that connection point to the video game, to the television screen, um, right. I think was really big. Um, so, you know, but you fast forward a little bit. Um, I tell people all the ta- time, I took a very non-traditional route yeah. to get into the sport industry. Um, you know, when I graduated from Langston University, a, a small historically black college in Oklahoma back in 2005, I had a business degree. I started out as a corporate square. Uh, I worked in analytics and, and finance uh, right. for a bank. And then I progressed to, um, I was selling cereal. I was, a, I was I, that's a joke, but um, I was, uh, I worked for General Mills. And so yeah. I helped uh, sell cereal and snacks. And I, really what I was doing was I was selling that business into uh, um, grocery retailers. Right. And so, you know, I worked in client service and things like things like that. Um, and then I went on to work for Nielsen, um, more data and analytics. So I was, a, I was a bit of an analytics square client, yeah. uh, client consultant for a long time. Right. But how I broke in was I did what a lot of people did in 2007, 2008, 2009. I started a blog. I started writing. 
Um, I started a blog called Ed the Sports Fan. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere else on the internet at Ed the Sports Fan. And I started a blog and I just started to, you know, get my hot takes off, share my opinion about things. Um, and I found that I really had a passion for for creating content, writing stories. Right. And what I what was fascinating was at the time in which social media was starting to sprout, mm -hmm. uh, people were looking for content to consume. And what happened is people started to actually read my stuff and like my stuff. Right. And that and that was that was uh, fascinating to me so much so that I started to get confidence into, well, maybe I can write for other publications. And so right. um, I started writing, I, I, I sent a pitch to Slam Magazine, um, you know, a prominent uh, basketball publication here in, in the States. Right. And Slam was like, so the, the, Ryan Nelson, he's actually a good friend of mine now. He was right. like, hey man, like I've read your stuff before. Like I'm a fan, like, you know, anytime you want to pitch something over here, you can. And you know, that turned into being able to write in their magazine and get printed, getting print for the first time, which was great. Yeah. And and then from there, I started blogging more, started freelancing for other publications, ESPN and True Hoop, right. uh, Yahoo Sports, Bleacher Report, uh, SB Nation and everything like that. And I was doing all this while I had a full time job. So yeah. I, I, I tell people like, yeah, I would get to work at like 7, 730 in the morning, get a cup of coffee. I would go into my office, shut the door, and from about 7:30 to about 9, I was I was writing and and blogging and doing all these other things. Yeah. Um before I started my day job. Yeah. And it started to come to a point of complication when uh I remember Nike had reached out to me and said like, "Hey, like we're uh we want to invite creatives to come be a part of a Nike experience at the time. It was called the world basketball festival. Right. Um, and this was in, in lead up to the Olympics and yeah. uh, USA basketball participating in the Olympics. Sure. And so they had this big experience at Madison square garden and Rucker park. And, you know, I had to tell my job like a week before I was like, Hey, I need to take three days off because, right. and I had to lie. I had to lie. Like, I don't care now because I don't work for him, but like, I had to lie and say like, Hey, my mom's sick, <laughs> you know? And I went to Nike, I went to New York and, and had to, and I, and I got to meet Kevin Durant. I got to, you know, see Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade. Yeah. And that was like the first like light bulb moment. Right. And so um, shortly after that, I started my own media company, the sports fan journal. Um, where we set out to really create, create a publication um, and create a platform for um, aspiring writers of color, um, women, mm. and millennials. And so we had this fantastic crop of young, um, talented voices, you know, all very young, all from diverse backgrounds. Uh, I was so proud of the fact that we were able to put a lot of women on staff and we started creating content under the sports fan journal. And the fact that, you know, we can look at some of our guys. Now we look at, you know, Jason Klink skills, Justin Tinsley, Logan Murdoch, Alex Wong. Um, we can see people that have gone on from TSFJ and now they're prominent voices on ESPN or they're uh, prominent voices for the ringer or Yahoo sports uh, decider, like these different prominent brands, yeah. like they earn their stripes with us. 
and they they and frankly like they they will say very directly like if i didn't get a chance to get these reps early it would not have prepared me for this moment later and so um you know fast forward a little bit i tried to i tried to i actually quit my job I was actually uh i thought about i was like okay i'm gonna quit my job yeah. i'm gonna try to be a sports media professional i'm gonna i was still writing a lot i was covering the golden state warriors for sb nation Right. I have the sports fan journal going and I got really broke. <laughs> I was in the Bay. This was like 2013, 2014. I got broke. And of all the places that I was able to get a job, one of my fraternity brothers said, Hey man, we're hiring at Google. You need to, would you be available? And I was like looking at my pocket and I was like, man, yes, I definitely would be available. So of all the places I got a job at Google, it's like, what kind of luck is that? Right. Yeah. So I get, I'm working at Google and I was there for about a year and a half. And I remember I was, I was um, on camp on um, campus in Mountain View. And there was a gentleman there and he was just like, man, I'm so happy to be here. Like, I don't ever want to leave. And it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, like, man, if you don't take yourself home, go out and go get a drink, go have, like leave the work. Like this is work. Yeah. And this, this young man, he was just really like, no, man, like this is where I want to be. I don't want to leave. I'm super happy and all this. And I realized I was being a killjoy. Right. And so that is the day I applied for. Um, I, I, I signed up for an interest meeting for the University of San Francisco and their sport management program. Um, and that was the day I decided I'm probably going to leave Google. And so yeah. that was the day I actually gave up my corporate square life. And I said, I'm going to do everything I can to try to make this sports media thing work. And so yeah. fast forward all the way to now, um, you know, I finished the master, uh, USF program in 2016. Um, I had had a job with Fox Sports Digital, uh, first with Yard Barker, uh, then with Fox Sports um, here in LA. Um, and then I was a social media manager for uh, the, covering the UFC for Fox Sports. And then from there, I took a position with ESPN to um, work on their audience engagement team. And then for the last uh, two years now, um, I've worked covering the NBA as an editor, um, now as a general editor. And so, um, yeah, like I get to cover the sport. I love it. I get to get to, I went from blogging about the sport that I love the most um, and doing it for free right. to now being able to work with on arguably the strongest sports media brand in the world, yeah. um, covering the sport that I love the most. And so like, I, I really, like I said before, I really don't have any complaints about any of that whatsoever. I mean, like what a, what a journey though. And I think it's like some key important lessons here as well that, you know, sort of like the, the time, you know, that it took and the effort that you put down, you know, from just starting like this as sort of like a side hustle, you know, and sort of like, mm -hmm. okay, I want to share my, my thoughts here. And then, you know, seeing of course the, the growth and the potential through it, but at the end of the day it came down to sort of like, you know, your passion, your realization and, and that, okay, what is important for me? Like, where do I fit in? And, and, and again, like people need to know that things takes time, you know, like it's a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication. And at the end of the day, you're going to sit there. And, and now, like, like you said, you're, you're, you're writing for one of the, the, the biggest brands, media, sports brands, companies, 
companies out there. And that's, that's absolutely fantastic. And, and, and if, if we go a little bit into your role now, though, like as the general editor uh, for ESPN MBA, and if, if you can sort of like map up a little bit, like what are some of your key responsibilities and tasks that you do at a daily basis? I guess right now, of course, like it's the main focus on the NBA finals, but, but at a general level. And then I guess if you could touch a little bit like slightly on, on how the pandemic, you know, and, the, and I guess like the, the stopping of games in the NBA was, was impacting your role at the time. Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing about, so now I'm an editor for USP and NBA and, you know, all that time I just talked about, you know, I started blocking in 2008. And so, uh, you know, up until maybe until I joined ESPN, that's a solid, I had a solid 10 year run of being a writer, being a a creative in the sense of like putting pen to paper, putting, you know, digital words onto a spreadsheet, onto a doc. And um, uh, the editor role is managing the writer managing the story, managing the angle, managing the perspective and helping the writer land the plane in an efficient manner. And uh, it's, a, it's a totally different process in the sense of uh, you actually are, you, you are trying to help someone, you're trying to get somebody the coloring book. I think that's the best way. So, you know, if I tell, if I tell you like, hey, um, I want you to draw me a, 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 a dragon breathing fire on a house. And I just tell you to, and that's the story I want you to, that's a wild story I just came up with. But, um, but I asked you to, to draw it and I just give you a blank piece of paper. You know, you might draw a 20 foot dragon and a two foot house. Uh, you might, you know, have them, you know, on a mountain, you, you might come up with any type of imagery and that, that might be good, but it might not be exactly what we are looking for to land. Now, if I give you a coloring book and I, and I say like, here's the lines to draw within. Yeah. And by the way, here's a castle and here's the dragon, uh, you know, trying to burn the castle down. And there's also a man trying to save a woman at the top of the castle, trying to get them to safety. And there's a, a, a st- there's uh, troops, uh, there's soldiers trying to attack the dragon. Now we have a more complete picture of right. what's happening, right? And that's because, um, and this is actually, I think, very important, not just thinking as an editor, uh, thinking about process, right? So I'm a big believer in freedom of structure and, uh, freedom of structure. Actually, uh, Bomani Jones from ESPN gives a great TED talk about freedom of structure. I recommend everybody go and give it a watch. Um, but the gist of it is, is that, you know, for a long time, I've always been like one of the smartest dudes in the crew, in the class and, and where I work. And I've frankly, like never been someone who did a lot of studying, <laughs> uh, who took a lot of notes, um, used any type of guides or formats. Like I've always been really attuned on how to get to the end end goal and i think once you reach to a certain level and stuff gets a lot harder um you know that becomes that becomes impossible to do you have to be able to give people to a framework because you'll drive yourself crazy and if and it and if i can save my writer time and say here is the framework here is the outline here are the three or four or five things i need you to hit right what could take him two to three weeks could now be done maybe in two to three days um and 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 it becomes and if there is thoroughness and explanation and what the expectations are 
um, and, and why we are trying to achieve that objective, right. um, then there there's less confusion from the writer as far as what the expectations are. And so, but that's not any different than when you are managing someone or someone gives you a project. We've all, I mean, we were in class together. You know what happens when you have a team project and the, the outline is very loose. People don't have a defined set of roles or responsibilities yeah. and things that need to get done. People go out and do their own thing and then they come back and it's a big, uh, you know, it's a cluster, you know, yeah. it's a cluster bleed. And so, um, that's that is my job on the day to day and so you know i'm fortunate i get to work with espn's talented writers covering the nba you know andrew lopez om young me soup ramona shelburne brian windhorse um you know just highly respected people um who are super talented put in a lot of work um but they need they you know they lean on us to help sharpen angles um think creatively think critically um, and help them land a plane in an efficient manner. And, um, and it's, it's a joy to be able to do that type of work. Um, and you asked me, I think, about uh, how things have changed, I believe, about- yeah, A little bit from, on like how, I guess, the pandemic was, was impacted your, your role at the time in the stop of games. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at it. Like, I mean, like I'm sitting at a desk at my house and, uh, you know, we definitely were, it was much easier for us to transition as editors to be able to work from home. Right. Uh, however, the two things that were a challenge were one, the ability to communicate and, uh, and the methodology in which we would communicate. So one, right. the way in which like you and I are communicating on Zoom now, it is, it became instead of you know, when I would be in the office, I would walk to your desk and be like, hey, how are you doing? I need help with this. Or, hey, what do you think about that? Now it is, I am on, I am tethered to Slack every day. I'm looking at my, I have, I mean, I have two phones. I mean, I have two phones right now. That's my beautiful wife. And, you know, but I'm tethered to my Slack all the time. Yeah. Um, it is very common for people to just drop Zoom links and a DM on my Slack and say like, let's hop into Zoom for five minutes um, so we can talk about things. And so uh, recreating that interpersonal interaction was definitely uh, a change, yeah. um, number one. I would say the second thing is, um, and this does relate to the first to a degree, is our reporters had were impacted heavily with the pandemic because um, I, you know, I don't know how many people are listening have ever covered a sport um, and had locker room access or had media access. Right. Um, but when you have a media pass um, and you have access, you know, you are allowed, you know, after a game, you're allowed to go into designated areas to where the press conference is. And after a 10 minute cool down period for NBA games, you can go into the locker room and you can be in the hallways. And so what happens is, you know, I'll just give an example of when I was covering the Golden State Warriors, because when I was covering the Warriors, this was about 2014-15, yeah. you know, Warriors beat the Kings 120 to 100, Steph Curry goes, goes for 40 points, Klay Thompson scores 30 points. Um, and so the media, the reporters would all flock to Steph, all flock to Klay. Right. And what I would always do 
I would go I, the first part. The, one of the first people I did this with was Draymond Green, and Draymond Green was a rookie, a rookie or a second year player at the time, and nobody yeah. was talking to him. Yeah. Now, I was already very familiar with Draymond Green because of his time in college. Yeah. Um, and I knew from his college days that he liked to talk. Now we all know Draymond Green likes to talk. He's very, very known. Yeah. He is. He loves to talk. Yeah. Um, but and he is very knowledgeable about the game. So early on, I would go talk to Draymond by himself and I would just go chop it up with him. Half the time we wouldn't talk about basketball. If anybody if you want a tip on how to make actual relationships with people, not uh you know high level people they could be athletes execs whatever please believe they are human just like the rest of us and if you ask them about watching the bachelor or uh game of thrones or you know anything else that is uh popular like chances are they watch it too and so half the time me and draymond would talk about hip-hop we would talk about uh sneakers things like that and then at the end i would say something like you know what were you guys doing you know it, uh, i'm gonna give y'all another tip like yeah. when you are talking to high level people the best thing you could ever do is ask them to explain something to you like you are ignorant and so uh you know a lot of times i would just ask draymond like can you explain to me your thought process or uh maybe what i sh- what i should know about why this scheme this tactic this process you guys did seem so complicated and you'll be surprised at how many people will uh go down and break down what they see what they think the why and how in which they do things um a lot of people ask really poor questions and it's not their fault um you know talking to athletes talking to high level people it can be intimidating um and so um but getting people to explain something in simple terms is a, a great way to understand process um and you know that was how i started to break bigger stories and and do deeper dives especially on the warriors at that time and yeah uh that was a lot of fun for me and so um re- but now let me bring it all the way back reporters don't have the ability to do that and so yeah. um what we've had to challenge our reporters to do is hey man like you know, you, you might have to text some of these writers, you might have to get on the phone, you've got to like, you know, finesse and politic um, and, and make relations that aren't in a natural way. And so for our reporters that have really thrived, I think one thing that's been big for them is figuring out alternative relationships and alternative ways of getting the job done. So maybe it's not being able to go into the locker room, but, you know, making better relationships with the agent making better relationships with family members, making better relationships with, um, you know, people that maybe they, their coaches in the past, um, things like that. And so um, I actually think that it's helped evolve our storytelling to a degree. And I think it's, and like anything else, I actually think the pandemic, while it's been absolutely terrible, in some ways it's made all of us a little more well-rounded. I mean, even this podcast, I, I'm guessing, probably would not have been formulated in the same way if it weren't for the pandemic, because I mean, yeah. we're on two different sides of the globe right. and you know, maybe maybe the concept of this doesn't ever come to fruition. And so, you know, I think right. that there's, um, a lot right. of us have stretched themselves as a result. I, I think it's a really valid point. And, and, and I wanted to like, just touch upon like two, final steps because we're starting to 
run out of time. Time we're good on time. You're good. But, You're uh, good. Don't worry but, about it. But uh, I, I wanted to sort of like touch a little bit upon like again like your role as an editor, kind of like you know managing, overseeing, like fine tuning all these frameworks, which is obviously you know super key because sports are so fresh, right? Like it's things happening all the time. So I guess like the stories as well has to sort of like, you know, be in a very rapid pace. And I guess like that sort of framework and structure, how are you taking that with you now into, you know, your roles in a junk professor at the USF sport management program? And I guess like, first of all, like, how does it feel to be back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, the thing I would say is uh, what, what is helpful in being a you know, an editor in, in, in thinking and planning ahead is that uh, it allows me to actually be flexible in teaching a class at the University of San Francisco. So um, to take a step back, um, yeah, like I had an opportunity to teach my first class with the University of San Francisco in their sport management program, um, which is a master's program. And so my, my class was focusing on digital strategy and sport media. And right. uh, you know, the entire function of the class was um, about thinking on a higher level about how to thrive, uh, not tactically, but strategically um, as digital media continues to evolve, especially around sports. So thinking about uh, how teams, players, brands, agencies leverage uh, social media, um, the rise of, you know, video on demand platforms, um, thinking about influencer strategy, uh, YouTube, uh, things like that. And so, um, but not only how to break in and do quality work there, but the thing that I actually think is uh, important is that we are striving to develop not people who can work in the industry, but people who can eventually be leaders in the industry. And right. so um, I think that's why it was important for me to really think about okay, how do we leverage analytics and um, to make better decisions um, with the digital media? Um, how do we manage people? Like this is such, you know, there are a lot of things happening in the media um, um, day in and day out. And, you know, one of the biggest failures I think a lot of our leaders have uh, in the industry is like that sometimes they really struggle to manage people in relationships. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to think a little bit too much about the bottom dollar, the bottom line uh and, and and they fracture human relationships you know they call it human resources for a reason and i think sometimes businesses think a little bit too much about the resources not enough about the humans involved um and so like these things all come into play and so you start to think about my job my day job and teaching it goes back to freedom of structure it is you know i would say if you talk to the kids that talked in the, that were in my class it was probably very loose. They probably felt really, I, I wanted to make sure they felt really comfortable. Yep. You know, when we were in class together, I think the best moments in class are always when you can have lively debate and discussion about a, about a real topic. Right. Um, and that was intentionally injected into the class. And so, you know, I would make sure that we had framed talking points and angles to hit on um, that eventually would be, would, would also help them with their assignments um, because they didn't even realize it, but they were talking through their homework assignment. And so, right. um, you know, that's to me, like, I thought that was really cool. And so just the amount of feedback that I got um, from the students, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, 
you know, I'll be able to teach a, a couple of classes a year um, going forward. Um, it looks like that'll hopefully be the case. And uh, I loved it, man. It was uh, it was refreshing. I think yeah. as we get older in the industry, I mean, I'm 30, I'll be 38 this month. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think people struggle with is, uh, you know, they don't keep up with the times. And, um, and I'm saying that as someone who's 37, like I'm not old by any means, but even the, the perspectives of someone who is 27 is drastically different than me being 37. And it's healthy, you know, they, we talk about diversity all the time. And most people tend to focus on diversity in regards to race or gender or religion. Sure. Um, but age is just as vital from a diversity standpoint, which is why I tell everybody, uh, when you break in, you need to go find, you need to go find two mentors. You need to find a professional development mentor, and you need to find someone who um, you can develop a bit more of a personal uh, relationship, someone who, you know, more has probably has life figured out a little bit right. more. Yeah. Um, and so having someone that can help you professionally get you where you want to go. And then also have having those people that can help you stay centered and, and, and keep you really uh, f finding happiness. And yeah. then when you have that opportunity, you should also pay it forward and find someone and be available to mentor somebody else. So you, men you receive mentorship up and then you pass mentorship down. And so um, and that's always something that has, has been really, uh, uh, I've always been really passionate about that part for right. sure. And um, I think that's just important for anybody who gets into this game because this game is a, it's a cold game and it's yeah. tough to get into this industry. People pay the cool tax to get into this industry. People will pay, people will do your job for free. People will do your job for less than what you make. Right. Uh, pe people will try to hire folks for the job and they'll lean on nepotism and cronyism to uh, hire people that are not qualified for these roles. Um, and this is before we start identifying the people that are black, brown, uh, women, um, people uh, from who speak a different language, um, people who have maybe have different belief systems. Like the, the this game is very, uh, this game is tough to get into and it's hard for people to stick around in, but there's a reason why we love it. And um, those who can persevere and find success, um, it's earned. And, uh, you know, I, you know, you, you know what you signed up for and you, you got, you got to know the entire picture uh, when you get into it. And I guess sort of like the, the, the sport management program as well, like USF sort of like have, um th that very underlying factor right of like connecting with the alumni and sort of like giving back right and and i said this probably like too many times already and in, in too many podcasts with the with former usf students and professors where where i'm kind of like it always surprised me a little bit as a norwegian you know like coming over to like a different country a different place and sort of like you know reaching out to these usf you know where that students or alumni and sort of like getting that 
I don't know, like that very openness, you know, and, and, and that meant a lot for me. It did a lot for me as well, because I didn't always see that, you know, in Norway, you know, which is, you know, maybe a little bit weird, but we're, we're a little bit, uh, you know, interesting people sometimes. So, so it's kind of like had that openness and that sort of aspect of why this was important. And it also, as you said, it creates sort of like this culture of like, you want to give back, you know, and you want to provide that. And I think a lot about that as well in terms of, you know, Sporting Global as a company where, you know, we have a very, you know, set vision where I want to have a very young core team that have like the ideas, you know, the, the hardworking ethic and are willing to do whatever it takes, right? But then you have to complement that with those people that have been in the industry for a long time. And that's, that's the advisors. That's the, you know, people I can drag you in or pull you in the right directions because, you know, it's, it, it's a new journey. And when you're trying to change something that has been done in a very similar way for a very, very long time, you have to break some barriers. And then you need those people that are, you know, both, new and new for a new and forward thinking you know, and, and the ones that have known that structure and know also a little bit how to how to change that structure yeah uh i'm, I'm not sure how many folks in norway are familiar with uh jay-z but jay-z yeah. has this iconic line where he says you know hove did that so hopefully you don't have to go through that and the the gist of that is you know you think about even your experience and think about how much you went through and you think about the the times you bumped your head, um, made mistakes, and you realize to anybody coming after you, you realize the things that uh, could have been a lot easier, things that, uh, you know, took, you burnt, you spin your wheels on, uh, that took way too much time to do something. And like I tell the students all the time, like, let me help save you time. Yeah. Let me let me save you some headaches. Um, I've been there. Like I've taken the non-traditional route. Like that's the thing I always tell them. Like, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> um, there's of all the people that I, I I remember close from. Of course, it would be someone like Matthew McConaughey, and he had this thing he said when um, he was uh, I think he was at the Oscars, mm. and he said, you know the only person that I really look up to um, that I care about how they think about me is myself in five years or myself 10 years from now. Right. And the point he was making is that like, I, nobody can hold me more accountable than me. And so I know the expectations that I have for myself. And, you know, if I can look at myself five years from now, and feel like I, I, I met a standard that I have for myself, then that's, a, that's the only person who can really judge me and hold me accountable. And I think mm -hmm. similar to that, it is, especially when you are in a, a, a master's program, when you are coming out of college, when you, especially when you're in your 20s. Yeah. I tell the students all the time, too. When you're in your 20s, your 20s are, let's just, let's just say this for what it is. When you're in your 20s, professionally, they're kind of terrible. It doesn't mean that people can't make money in their 20s. It doesn't mean people can't find professional success in their 20s. Right. But generally, in your 20s, it is the hardest you're ever going to work for the littlest amount of money you're gonna make. Yeah. Um, and you are also going to be in a time in your life where you are still not sure who you are, what you believe in and what your passions really are. Yeah. Um, I did not make the decision to be in the field that I'm in now. I had a whole other career yeah. and I made a career change and I took a pay cut to do it at the age of 30. And, uh, but I've, I, as, I've never been as happy professionally um, until 
frankly, until like my mid, my like probably about age 33 to now, mm-hmm. are, it's the happiest I've ever been professionally. Um, and so, and it's funny, the more happy I've been professionally, the yeah. better my life outside of my profession has been better. I found my, you know, I've been, I got married uh, last year, you know, we, we moved to LA, you know, like life, like I don't have nearly as much to complain about right now. My life is pretty decent. Um, and so, you know, having that opportunity to help people save time, mm-hmm. to help be more economically focused, you know, yeah. not e- e- being economic in their process, in their decision-making um, is what I mean by economically. And so, True. you know, that's what this podcast is also aiming to do, right? It is helping people save time. I'm probably taking way too much time by being long-winded and talking way too much. But that's just kind of what I do. So outside of me talking way too much, it's always good to have the opportunity to help people save time, get the, get the answers, get the resources they need so they can go achieve their objective um, as quick as they can. Yeah, and I, I guess like also in your role, you know, as the professor now is, is this is more important than ever. And having that lessons with you of being through that journey and, and taking from your path of, of sort of like, how do you, you know, like explain to them in a sense where, yes, it's, uh, you know, a challenging journey, but it's going to take time and you have to realize that things will change and that's fine. And, and I, like, I always talk with like the, the, the students that we're presenting for that we're talking for, like a lot of times that at the end of the day, it starts with you, you know, like know yourself, you know, what's your values, what is important for you in life? Because once you sort of like start mapping that out, it's, it's a lot more easier to understanding, okay, what kind of organizations do I want to work for? What is important for me? Like how does that fit into, you know, wherever my path or journey is taking me? And then we kind of believe in this saying as well, where we're not gonna be the one who tells you, okay, this is how you do it. This is your five tips. This is, you know, you know I hate those like five killer tips mm-hmm. for like a perfect resume on LinkedIn or whatever it is, right? right. I'm like, sure, but, that's why we share stories because we want mm-hmm. people to find, you know, people that they can relate to or stories they can relate to, whether that's like that specific job or, or role, or they are from the same country or, or like that they see the scope and that they can through that understanding what they want, knowing more about themselves, getting key tips, you know, weekly, like I said, from, from leaders, leaders like you and, and, and uh, again, find, help them find their path. That, that's what yeah. we, we try to do and that's why i always say with academia as well and you're kind of like in that now where we're sort of like we have the same goal which is sort of like helping the students succeed you know mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and that, that's a very key key lesson but but talking a little bit about your um i guess through your entrepreneurial journey you know like as as the founder and editor-chief uh, for the sports fan journal which you touch a little bit into the beginning and i guess like what are some of those lessons, like the entrepreneurial lessons, I guess, that you've taken with you, uh, obviously in your role with the ESPN, but also as the junk professor at the, the sport? Yeah. How do you how do you bring that out to the students? Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually think that more of our students and more young professionals in general should consistently take and like having an intra- entrepreneurial mindset and entrepreneurial endeavors. You know, they used to say, um, you know, you should give everything to your job 
You should focus solely on being the best you can within your job. And the term that they, you know, say don't half-ass it, right? right. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to cuss on here or not, but I, I think I, I can let that one slide. We'll do like a beep. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh, but don't, you know, but the, 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 the thinking behind that is, you know, if you truly want to be great at something, um, you can't be great if you're splitting your hairs trying to do two different things. And I think that that was generally something that people really leaned on. I think when we are thinking about life, the life and times of being in 2021 um, and the way the industry is, frankly, a lot of the jobs that, um, you know, our students and young professionals in their 20s are doing, they are not really getting a full immersive experience into the things that they really want to do. But the challenge there is, hey, man, Rent, rent is due on the first of the month. Hey, man, um, my lady wants to go out to go have dinner um, and we're going whether I like it or not. Um, you know, I got to go send money back home because my grandmother's sick. Like people have financial needs and they have uh, they, they you know, like it, that's just the being a li uh, life and times of being a, a human. Like you got to figure out how to make things work. And so I say all that to say, I think. I think it actually benefits people to take on some entrepreneurial endeavors um, so that they can start to think about uh, more strategically the type of work that they do, the things that they're really passionate about and to develop other skills. Mm -hmm. And so even with the sports fan journal, I didn't, I, I've never been, I don't have, I, let me just say this right now. I don't have any formal journalism training. I've never taken a journalism class. I've never taken a communications class. Um, I did not go to school for journalism um, or anything like that. But when I started uh, TSFJ in 2011, I was the editor in chief of five editors and at the time, another 10 to 12 writers. Yeah. And since then we've had over 15 to 20 different editors and over 100 contributors to the TSFJ um, until we sold the company last year. Right. And I didn't even realize the type of skills I was developing for myself to potentially be able to take on the type of role that I have now. Now, am I saying that if you start your own, you know, calling it what it was then a blog that, you know, it evolved into a, a much bigger in scale digital publication. But am I, am I saying that if you start a blog one day, will you one day be able to be an editor at, you know, a major media publication? I'm not saying that. Um, if you notice on my career path, I had to take different steps to get my foot in the door right. to ultimately get my, give myself the opportunity to have that position. However, a couple of things happened. One, um, before I had ever been given any man uh, managing responsibility, I managed a ton of people. Um, I held people to timelines and deadlines. Um, I managed resources. I mean, you under anybody understands who's ever started any type of business whatsoever, you don't have any money. And so you're constantly trying to think about how to pay for things, how to make things work. If something breaks, everybody's looking at you to fix it. Um, and so uh, problem solving, critical thinking, um, you know, I was doing all that on my own. Yeah. Mind you, again, I was doing all this while I had a full-time job, right? Um, and I had, a, you know, a girlfriend or our wife now, right? And so um, 
you know, I see a lot of people that want to work in social media. I'm just going to use social media as an example. If you do not have a job in social media and you want a job in social media, the best thing you could ever do is you create your own social media content and thinking about creating your own digital media. Um, It's never been easier to, you know, so long as you have a computer. Yeah. And let me be clear, like, it's not assumptive that everyone will have a computer. A computer costs money. But if you can figure out how to get a computer and, you know, you can get a subscription to Adobe for like $30 a month. So you can have access to Adobe Premiere and Photoshop. And then you can go on YouTube and you can look at tutorials on how to build content um, or how to, to design content. And you can start to, to develop that, those skills to create awesome social media content. Um, and, and we've seen what happens when people, you know, shoot things on their iPhone and, you know, do a little editing, do a little designing. You can, you can record an entire podcast on your phone. Right. You can, you can shoot video content from your phone. Um, it does not cost a lot of money to do these things and you'll be surprised how far you can go, um, with these things. And so, um, I say all that to say, you know, if you have a, a real interest to be in social media and yet the job you have right now is that you are a barista at Starbucks. Well, when your time is off at Starbucks and you really want to do it, you can still do it. And you, and you should find ways not only to do it for yourself, but you'll be surprised. Like, you know, if you tell people like, hey, I do social media on the side, people will pay you to do it. Like there there are people that are that um, need help with small business. Um, with startups, um, people, you know, a lot of people that do graphic design, you know, I tell people all the time, if you've got a camera and you want to make some quick money, put out a note on your social, on your social media channels and say, Hey, I'm doing logos and headshots. Um, and I'm taking tips and I've seen so many, I've seen so many people that get a little white backdrop and, and tell people they're doing headshots and quick photo shoots. And people can come out and make two, three, four hundred dollars because they're just taking photos, getting people professional photos. Right. What do we learn? What do we learn about in class? Um, don't put any raggedy photos on your LinkedIn. Put a professional photo on your LinkedIn page, right? And so, this is all really about the less the, the the thing that we're really talking about here. You know, you were making fun of uh, five killer tips to get a, a a great resume to get hired or whatever, right? The biggest lesson here is critical thinking and problem solving. Can you critically think about solving these situations? I'm going to tell you right now, one of the best ways I ever learned how to be a critical thinker is I played Final Fantasy video games and I play video games all the time. I still play video. I might, I don't know. I might not start work for another hour. I might play some FIFA when I get done. But you think about the ways in which you critically think about the things you actually care about. Mm. And then, and, and I'll, I'll say this very directly, and I say this all the time to my students. Right. I remember when we were in cohort 42. Yeah. I remember when I was in cohort 41. There's people in cohort 41 and 42. I love them to death. I would never hire them. Yeah. I would never hire them. Right. And the reason I never hire them is because I saw how they worked. I saw their ability to critically think. Right. And if you can be a problem solver in 2021, it'll take you wherever you want to go. Yeah. Um, and, and that is the thing that I, I realized 
having to be a problem solver for my own business helped be a problem solver on the biggest stage. And a lot of folks just need reps and problem solving and yeah. being able to be a critical thinker and find success in that right. so that they can build off that success to help get them where they got to go. It's, uh, it's extremely important and sort of like tr keep training that skill set as, as you talk about. And, and in order to do that, you have to, you know, branch out. And, and I mean, like in today, you have so many resources available for free, you know, essentially as well, where you can just, you know, start fine tuning that skills and, and all you need, you know, in many cases, is just your phone, you know, like we, we, we just started like recently, just like a live stream, you know, just for fun. And I mean, like, we're literally just using my phone as a camera. And like, yes, I have a PC, of course, to, to that, that I'm using anyways for work. But but I mean, like, it, it's not a lot of stuff you do. And I think you need in order to make things, you know, to start things. And, and I think like, just that, knowing that you know if you have the interest and the passion for to do it it's not a lot you need to have in order to start and that's that's very key i think for a lot of people to know because people are like oh i need that or i need that because they they're looking at all these you know creators or or, or people that inspire them that are you know been working on this for like you know 10 15 maybe 20 years and see like but they have that and they have that camera and that microphone or, or whatever that is and you're like oh but i can't afford that and you're like but they all started at zero you know they all started as scratch and we always say that too like you know facebook started with zero users linkedin started with zero users so are we but it takes time you know and we're building our way up step by step but it takes time and you have to be you know understanding that journey and and i think it's what you talked about a little bit early as well where finding those you know mentors those you know people around you to help you guide you on that path you know is going to be key and 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 i'm sure you know you'll 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 be that person for for many people out there and and, and help them and that's awesome i'm just trying to keep up with you brother well i <laughs> you, you you're you're too too humble to 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 nice it uh but uh i i wanted to sort of like wrap come to a conclusion here you know we've been touching upon a lot of different things you know from uh, you know what, what you're doing today and, and I guess like your your role with the finals and everything but if, if you want to narrow it down to just like some you know a few tips you know for for students out there you know and of course you talk with students a lot of time but but kind of like that that specifically wants to work for a sports media company one day you know maybe you know a big or a small and and I guess in many ways, like, how do you separate yourself and, and stand out in the crowd, you know, and then you talked about, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to critical think and being a problem solver, but, you know, how, how do you get noticed, you know, in a sense, mm -hmm. and then when you're yeah. young. Yeah, five killer tips to get a role in sports media. Here we go. <laughs> uh, no, um, I would say one of the first things is to consider going, um, you know, finding the white space, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, I'll never forget when I finally got my break to like actually get a big position within sports media. You know, I was working at Yard Barker, which is, uh, you know, it's a startup media brand under Fox Sports Digital. Yeah. And, you know, it was fine. It was a good place to go cut my, cut my teeth. Um, and I had this awesome opportunity to 
uh, do a college football tour with Fox Sports and I got some good visibility and they told me like, hey, we have a position open for social media covering uh, basketball and football. Yep. And I was like, great. Hey, that's exactly what I want to do next. Right. And I interviewed with everybody and they love me. Of course, who couldn't, who couldn't love me? Like they love me. And they called me back like a couple weeks later and they said, Hey man, we loved you. We think you're awesome, but we're going to go in a different direction with who we're going to put into this position. And I was like, y'all don't love me that much then clearly. Uh, But, (laughs) uh, but then they said, but we also have an open head count to cover the UFC. And so, you know, I, if we go down the list, uh, this is in 2016, 2017, of the list of sports that I like, um, you know, I would say at the time UFC was somewhere in between like badminton and NASCAR or something. Like, I don't know, like that's probably being a little drastic, but like I, I would watch the UFC when my boys would have it on. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay for a UFC pay-per-view. Like I, I wasn't that demo. Um, I was familiar with it a, a little bit, but I was not by, by any means a fan. Um, but I also knew that I, this was an opportunity to really get my foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And I remember they said, okay, well, we're going to call you and we're going to, we're going to ask you some questions and, and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, okay, cool. So he calls, dude calls me back. His name, his name is Josh and he's actually running social at T, uh, TNT now. And great dude at Turner, excuse me. And he says, hey man, I'm gonna just put you on the spot with a little quiz. I'm like, a quiz? Uh-oh, what are you talking about? So he's like, you know, I wanna ask you who the current belt holders of the UFC are. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. Now, this is where being a millennial comes to your advantage. Cause I remember, cause I went out, cause, cause I was at home and my wife was working and it was loud. And so I went outside and it was quieter in my garage. Yep. And so I'm outside and I'm on the phone and I don't know if people are listening. I don't know if they have video, but I'm putting the phone, to my, I have the phone on my ear. So I put my phone on speakerphone and while I'm talking to him, I Google who the current UFC champions are. Right. And so this man asked me, so who's the current UFC featherweight champion of the world? And I'm like, and, and you know, now I'm, I'm scrolling, I'm typing rapidly. And I'm like, hey, man, Josh, come on, man. What are you talking about? Everybody knows who that is. That's a, that's a Max Holloway. Max Holloway uh, is, is the current featherweight champ. He's like, oh, man, very good, very good. I'm like, ooh, it is very good. So, you know, and then she, he's like, who's the current UFC women's strawweight champion of the world? And I remember it's, I remember now, mind you, I had never read uh, this woman's name. I know who it is now. It's Joanna Young Jacek. At the time, it was Joanna Young Jacek. And if you know anything about Joanna Young Jacek, you know her last name is Alphabet Soup. It is a lot of letters that don't seem like they all go together. Um, One time to my Polish brothers and sisters. So anyway, so I'm reading it. I've never said this woman's last name in my life. Right. And so, but I had to play it off. I was like, Josh, come on, man. This is too easy. Like that's, that's Joanna. I just said her first name. I didn't even bother saying her last name. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, man, gotta love Joanna champion. I was like, yeah. And I just lied my ass off. And so, 
you know, he asked me like one or two more questions and he was like, hey man, I'm really impressed, man. This is good. I feel good about this. Um, I'll get back with you. 24 hours later, I had a job offer. And, and I, and I realized like I was scared because I realized like I knew I don't know, I don't know anything about the UFC, but I trusted myself to be able to figure it out. Mm. And I, and I went in there and it was very apparent from day one, they needed someone like me because I went into that room, I went to those studios and I was, I was the only black person in the building. I was one of the youngest people in the building because I covered sports like the NBA, college football, baseball, soccer, and everybody in that group was very isolated. Right. So I had all the fresh ideas. I had all the fresh perspectives. I had, I had knowledge of things that I knew would work elsewhere that they would never have considered trying on the UFC. Right. And I started finding immediate success because of it. And so I say all that to say, I know it's a pretty long, again, I told you I could be long-winded, my apologies. My point is, if you if you want to stand out, sometimes it is very important for you to go where others are not. And so, you know, we have a lot of students here in California and, and I'll see certain jobs and, you know, I'll tell them like, hey, this job is in, this job is in Atlanta, Georgia. You should consider it. It's like, man, I don't know, man. I can't leave California. So you wouldn't leave California to go chase your dreams? What are we talking about? Right. There's a job. There's a job in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. You get a chance to work for Kaiser Chiefs Soccer Club in South Africa. Right. Man, I don't know if I could do that, man. That's far. I've never been to Africa before. You wouldn't go. What are you talking about? Like, you know, you wouldn't go to Oslo. You wouldn't go to London. You wouldn't go to Seoul. You wouldn't go to Sydney. You wouldn't go to Austin, Texas. You wouldn't go to Chicago. Like you wouldn't go to, what are you talking about? Like not only, and, oh man, I love the NBA. Well, here's a job covering the Vancouver Canucks in the NHL. I don't know anything about hockey. So like the job there, the, the work is the work, right? And so we talk about this at ESPN all the time. Being a good editor is all about the work of being an editor. Understanding what a good story is translates to any sport or topic that I'd ever work on. Maybe there are nuances and specifics. If I went to finance, for example, yeah, there are probably some terminologies and some certain uh, perspectives I need to understand, but a good story is a good story. And I promise you, if you are, um, you know, good at social media, if you are good at finance, if you are good at analytics, if you are good at marketing, if you are good at any of these things, but the only difference is, oh, this location is out of my comfort zone, or this sport is out of my comfort zone, or, you know, like, at the end of the day, like, those things are manageable. And um, I think a lot of times we probably close ourselves off to a lot of opportunities Uh, because of it and I also understand it's not easy to be like I'm gonna leave San Francisco to go to Philadelphia or or Las Vegas you know whatever like I get it and not everybody can afford to do it and there's no shade if you cannot afford 
And I'm not even talking about afford as in finances. I'm saying afford as in your responsibilities, right? One of the things I've probably been luckiest to have happen to me is that, you know, I, I got, I got, I'm just using my own personal life here. I got married when I was 36 years old. And I don't, I don't, I won't have kid. My kid, my son will not be here until I'm 38. Um, so I'm very old. You see all this gray hair in my face, but I did not have any responsibilities tugging me down to going, be able to chase opportunity. Right. And so especially when we have kids in their twenties and early thirties, and I keep saying kids, when we have folks in their twenties and thirties who are not tethered down the people to, people who are not anchored to certain situations right frankly you just don't have nearly as much of an excuse and um it doesn't mean and the other 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 thing if you fail you can always go home i tell students all the time like failing is one of the best things you can do the thing i did learn at google is i don't really care if you succeed or fail but do it quickly. That's the key part. Mm. Don't spend your wheels for six months failing because now you're wasting everybody's time, money, and energy. If you're going to fail, do it quickly and then let's iterate and let's problem solve on how we can make it better. Or if it keeps failing, then let's quit altogether and just move on to something else, right? Um, And so I I think that those are the actual tips to stand out is to get some experiences, to challenge yourself to do some new and unique things. Um, the other things that are going to help you stand out are being you, being able to tell your own story um, and being able to put your own spin on things. And uh, um, those are the things that I found that can actually be successful. Like not everybody's going to be able to get a job at Nike or ESPN or the LA Lakers day one. It's just not going to happen. But there are other ways and places where you can get opportunity and really develop some skills and being able to develop some skills on somebody else's dime. I learned way more, I learned way more working at Fox Sports for three years. And I've learned so much now being uh, three to four years in at ESPN, you know, than I even did running my own sports media company um, because I'm in the machine now. Right. Um, so, you know, you whenever you can get an opportunity to get your foot in the door, even if you don't necessarily feel super comfortable, if you understand and you have a vision on where things can take you and thinking a couple of steps ahead into where your journey could go, then it's going to help you in the long run. You can always learn about, you know, other sports. You can always, you know, like people are soaking up knowledge every day, you know, like there, there's always stuff to learn. And, and, you know, it comes down again to sort of like knowing yourself. You know, knowing yourself and figuring that out and like you said grabbing the opportunity you know where, where wherever that is and having that is sort of like your i always say like this open open door policy or open mind policy in a sense where you know like i like personally i was always like kind of said like oh i was going to be like a you know managing director one day for like a professional soccer team like here in norway or like in europe and, and I, I said that since i was like 16 but, but i kind of always said like well there might always come something up, you know, like there might be something. And as, as you know, from, from also from, from back at, at USF, like 
I never saw myself as an entrepreneur or someone who was going to start my own company, but here we are. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but having that open mind policy and, and I think the advice you're giving it is, 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 uh, it's really great. You know, it's, it's, it's something to, you know, sit down, digest, you know, think about and, and, and for having people reflecting, you know, about what they want in life and, uh, and understanding where that might, might take you. So I think that's a perfect way actually to, to end the podcast. You know, I don't know if you have any final remarks. <laughs> I mean, look, whenever you find a, a good, a good job opportunity for me in, in, in Norway, uh, let me know. I'm out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Know, I'm a, we'd, it's funny. We'd actually been uh, talking about taking a trip to uh, up to Scandinavia going to, to Oslo and going up yeah. to uh going up to Denmark. It's funny. We were talking about wanting to go to Copenhagen at some point. Um, and, you know, once, once the pandemic kind of calms down and, and everything. And so, you know, if, and when we make it out that way, you're the first person I'm calling. You're, you're, you're more than welcome to come visit, uh, visit me here in the, in beautiful Molde. It's a, uh, Molde. I was, I was, I was like, okay. Cause so, cause Molde is on the other side. It's on the it's on the western side of Norway, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, it, I mean, like it's it, it's not too far, you know, like forty five minute on a flight from Oslo, and you're there. So it's, got it. it. It's it's not like you know California and all this stuff where it takes you like you know six hours to drive and all this. <laughs> so 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 Oslo is a forty five minute drive or forty five minute flight. Flight. Right. Got it. Can, is it actually possible to drive from where you are? Yeah, to yeah, yeah. You can totally drive it. Uh, what I would recommend though, what I would recommend, uh, mm-hmm. before we, we're making this too much of a Norwegian podcast. <laughs> but, that's what uh, I came, that's what I came to the podcast for. I came for all the, the Norway culture. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, like what I would recommend is you taking the train, you know, from Oslo okay. to Ondarsnes and then, um, you either like, we'll pick you up there or something, but, but then you get like essentially, a most amazing view of the entire mm-hmm. Norway. Like it's, it's, it's a train you should train ride. You should take, you know, for okay. sure. Because I always say yeah. to people too, if you go to Norway, please just promise you, you don't just be in Oslo because yeah. Oslo is, is still a city, you know, like, of course you can go a little bit outside to kind of like see it, but you have to go to the smaller places mm-hmm. because that's, that's what Norway is. You know, yeah. Norway is a lot of small places. Like my city is 25,000 people. You know, that's, that, that's normal Norway. So that, that's what you should experience when you, when you're there, at least okay. my recommendation. <laughs> well, that, that, what I will say is, is that is not any different. And I'm glad you said that because, you know, my, my father's side of the family, my father's family is all from Puerto Rico. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody knows about going to San Juan. Um, but I promise you, every time we go to, we fly into San Juan and we rent a car and cause, cause driving from one end of the island to the other can take you two and a half hours right and so you can drive to so many parts of the island um and there's so many beautiful beaches in puerto rico that's not in san juan and san juan is great don't get it twisted like san juan is amazing yeah. uh, but when you can go to bayamon or, or ponce or vieques or you know where my grandmother still is in vega baja like my, my grandmother in vega baja she is a 15 minute walk from like one of the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, my grandmother's like, you know, I walk here every day and just to get some exercise. And I'm like, this is amazing. So 
Um, I 100% co-sign your uh, recommendation, and I will hold you to that uh, if and when we make that trip. 100%. And then uh, you'll you'll be the first person I visit when I'm back in LA and California. <laughs> we got you. We got you taken care of. We'll find the the best watering hole possible and uh, and knock a few back. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much, Eddie. It was a pleasure having you here. Thanks once again for sharing your tips, your story and insight. And of course, for those of you that have been staying with us all the time, you know, make sure to, to like the video, maybe write a comment on uh, on uh, what is your uh, what is your what's your biggest tip or like advice that you're working on right now trying to like find that path and then we'll, uh, we'll maybe have Eddie maybe looking into that as well. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I, I make no promises, but I'll see what of I can course, do. Of course. <laughs> well, Eddie, I, I, we, we always have like this thing that where we finish up with some Norwegian. So I got to I gotta learn you some Norwegian. Okay, let's do it. All right. So with every video we do, we always finish with Visnakkes, which means see you later in Norwegian. Visnakkes? Did I say that correctly? Yeah, oh. Visnakkes. You got it. All right, Sweet. thank you so much, Eddie. Enjoy right now. your day and we'll, uh, we'll talk very soon.